On this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Lloyd Carney. Lloyd has decades of experience founding and leading companies as CEO, as well as serving on numerous corporate boards. Lloyd's experience as a board member is expansive and spans both public company and private company boards in the U.S. and globally. Lloyd is currently the chairman and chief executive officer of Carney Global Ventures, LLC. In 2015, Lloyd was elected to the board of directors of Visa Inc. and currently serves as a member of Visa's board audit and risk committee. Today, we will explore Lloyd's views on the relationship between sound risk oversight and board and executive suite diversity. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Lloyd. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Lloyd, you've had extensive experience founding and leading companies as CEO, including your current role as chairman and CEO of Carney Global Ventures. And you've also served on numerous corporate boards, including your current role at Visa, which we will get into in a bit. But before we delve into your role as a board member, can you share with our audience a bit about your background? So I'm originally from Jamaica, came here in 1979 to go to school in the Boston area, Um, had um, the good fortune to choose electrical engineering at the time, and minor in computer science, and I also got a master's degree in business while I was there. But at that time in the Boston area, that was kind of the start of the whole dot-com kind of a thing if you think about all the super mini computers came out of boston so companies don't even know know about anymore called prime computer digital equipment corporation all the guys who came out of the big mainframe world the first thing they did was create these super mini computers and they created servers of course and pcs but that was the first big wave and i was able to you know participate in that wave and um again you know we used to joke back then if you could you could spell C, they hired you as a C programmer, right? Because um, people just, you know, weren't doing, wasn't, people just weren't into programming back then. And so, um, you know, made the right career choice and um, did my first two startups that went public, Proteon. Um, we made network adapter cards, went public. Um, then we did um, a company called Wealthy Communications, which was a router company that went public also, ended up being bought by a company out here on the West Coast. And that's why I ended up at the West Coast, because I ran all of engineering for the joint company that was named Bay Networks. And I was on that coast. Everybody else in, in the corporate staff was here in California. And so after a year of commuting back and forth, I moved out here. So I saw I ended out here in California. Yesterday, my husband spent the entire day in this closet doing a mediation, if you couldn't believe it. <laughs> and the case didn't settle, so... <laughs> Um, Okay, so now let's turn to your experience as a board member. Can you walk us through the various boards you've served on over the years and then take us to today? Um, And then I'd like to ask you to reflect on the key responsibilities of a board member. The first board I was exposed to was um, the Wellfleet board um, because, you know, we were going public as a senior member of that team, the first public company, I ran engineering, but I didn't really interface so much with the board. I was just an engineer guy in the corner. 
um, went public and then I moved over to um, Wellfleet and I was on a senior team there doing more than just engineering. So I had to present to the board quite often on interaction board. And so got a good sense of what a board would be like. Uh, but it's a technology company board, small, you know, Boston based. Then we were bought, you know, we're a multi-billion dollar company now and, you know, much bigger board, East Coast based board. And, and there's, it, it's, there's a, a, a difference in how the board actually operates, um, which we can, we can touch on. I, I find that East Coast boards, like the Boston area boards, are much more in tune with diversity issues and, and those kinds of social issues than the boards that are out here that are, you know, dot-com based, technology based. Most of the people on the board are all engineers or engineering types or VCs. So it, it's, a, you, you, it's amazing the discussions you have East Coast board versus West Coast board and just how the sensitivities are, 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 are different. But um, that was the first one I really got involved in that I became chief operating officer for Juniper Networks and, you know, on going to the board all the time, sent to the boards. Then I became CEO of my own company, Micromuse, which is a public company. And of course, now I'm on the board. First, I'm on, 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 sitting on a board is, uh, is uh, Micromuse, was just presenting to the board. And then we did a startup. I was on the board of that startup. We were bought by Oracle, the, the prior company. Micromuse was a software-based company. Early AI, we were bought by, by IBM. Then I went to the startup, which is Seagull Systems, just bought by Oracle, and I was on that board. So public company, private company board, um, you know, again, another, another big differential there. Where the, the private company board, you're worried about, you know, month to month, kind of make the number, you know, what are the deliverables? Whereas the public company boards have a little longer time horizon, but still, you go from a 30-day shot clock to a 90-day shot clock, right, where you're worried about things like night windows. You rarely have the opportunity to really think long-term the way these things are set up. Um, and then after we were bought by Oracle, then I took over Brocade, a public company, it's on the board, and um, ended up being bought by Broadcom. In the meantime, these are all my direct experiences while I was at Juniper as chief operating officer, I was went on the board of a company called Cypress Semiconductor, um, which was one of the early um, RAM chip makers out here and system on a chip um, producers, um, system on a chip being analog components as well as, as digital components in the same, same wafer. And um, was on that board for 10 years. And that was one of the more diverse boards because we had people from the chip industry, people from IBM were on the board, um, and it was a mix of East Coast, West Coast people on the board, so you know, kind of um, different, um, different feel to it, whereas you know, the, the West Coast boards out here tend to just have West Coast people on the board, for the most part, the, the technology boards I've been involved in. And um, so I was on a the board there, Micromese for 10 years, um, fast forward, I'm on, I'm on the board of, um, my own company and when you're CEO you really can't be on more than one public company board it's just, it just as a CEO you you know you're working you know 70 hours a week anyway so you can't just you can't spend time so once I decided not to be a public company CEO anymore and started to do my own um, CEO Carnival Adventures 
then I started engaging with companies, more companies than the board are. And I'm, I'm currently on the board, chairman of the board. So I'm chairman of the board of two public companies. Um, not a lot of people who actually do that, but I'm, I'm chairman of the board of Nuance Corporation, um, which is a voice recognition AI based, focused on the, the healthcare segment that's based in Boston. And I'm chairman of the board of Grid Dynamics, which is another kind of AI data science, data engineering company that does um, consulting work and um, project work for people like Apple, well, we work for Nike, you know, big names, because um, we have a, a, a good bench of people with advanced degrees in mathematics and, you know, computer architecture and so on. Um, and data science, and, and so I'm chairman of the board of those two companies, and then I chair the audit committee for Visa Corporation, and um, and then I also joined the board of um, Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Vertex is based in Boston. Some of two Boston boards and two boards out here. Um, I know, which is kind of crazy. We're talking about I spend a lot of time in Zoom meetings. Trust me. Um, and so uh, we're number one. Um, one of the, the top performing pharmaceutical companies out there right now. And again, they're Boston based. And um, that's the portfolio I have right now. So I've got two, four in, in total, chair one audit and chair on the board of two. And I'm on the audit committee of, for Vertex. And then my private company things that we're doing under the Carter Global Ventures, we're going to see you there, um, where we have angel investments and in, in probably was 10 before COVID, now five um, startups that were engaged in, in an aggressive way. That is a vast amount of experience from so many different perspectives, from public company to private company, different geographic regions. What do you view as the key responsibilities of a board member um, taking into account all of those different types of boards? Well, I left one out, actually. <laughs> you said geos. So I was on the board of Technicolor, which is a French-based um, company. Your job is really hire, fire the CEO, and to help with the strategy company and to encourage them as much as possible to be more long-term focused. If you're worried about, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, you're probably not the kind of board member that you should be. So you really want to be as, as difficult as this to get them off of the 90-day shot clock. Um, the focus, you know, on the, the two-year plans, the two-and-a-half-year plans. Um, and, of course, you know, obviously you're here as a representative of the shareholders, right, um, as the other pivot point that you have. So the long-term focus is really music to my ears, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the other thing that we very much agree on is board diversity. Uh, you've long advocated for board diversity. And I'd like to first ask you to describe how you define diversity, and then we will get into um, why you're such a strong advocate. For me, uh, you know, diversity is, tell me who your customer base is, and what, what is that demographic? Um, tell me who were the decision makers in buying your product or not buying your product and tell me what the demographic is. But if your customer base is geographically dispersed, is um, from a 
it's gendered, you know, ethnicity dispersed, um, then you can't convince me that you shouldn't have a company that reflects your customer base. Because I know and studies show that the more you look like your customer base, the better you're going to be able to serve your customer base. So it's not, to me, it's not even a debatable event. It's like if you have a diverse customer base, then you've got to have a diverse board. And, and the board, and I think we, 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 we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what are the, the diverse decisions that the board needs to make and so on and so forth. Well, it's not just the board decisions the board makes. And yes, there are decisions we make and coming from a diverse background, having someone who is an engineer, someone who's a marketing person, someone who, you know, is ethnically diverse and all of that helps. I mean, but it, it also sets an, an example and a tone for the broader company that says if they look at the board, the board is diverse. It kind of says, yeah, the company needs to be diverse. It's kind of tough for the CEO and senior management team not to have diverse teams on them when they look to the board and the board is diverse. So again, the board being diverse is, is good, but not sufficient. And it's, it really is about setting the tone across the company. Diversity, you know, just, it, it makes sense. It makes you a better company, you'll develop better products. And um, it's not just board diversity, but company-wide diversity. I mean, as you try to attract talent into your company, if, you, if your company, you know, people are coming in and, and some of the more progressive companies out here in Southern Valley right now, we get Visa, Cisco does this, um, Google does this now, where you know, we have trouble attracting African-Americans. Um, it's very expensive out here. And, you know, it's, it also is not a very welcoming environment because, you know, there's not a lot of us in these positions of power in these companies. And, and yes, candidates do look. When they come interview, they never see anybody looks like them, you know, like, well, maybe I don't want to be there, right? So that's the early point of what, what Visa is doing and Cisco and Google, you know, where we're going to where we think that there is a base of African-Americans, you know, on the East Coast, right? Um, they're, they're, the candidates are there. They come out of schools that are there. But it's tough to get them to move out here um, in the kind of numbers that we'd like to see. So we're opening up offices out on, on, the, on the East Coast and um, recruiting and trying to get diverse populations um, on, in those offices. Do you see uh, diversity being a lower priority given that uh, we're facing a global pandemic and how are you advising the companies that you sit on to look at that issue today? You know, I've, the first time I became sensitized to this whole diversity thing was when I became CEO of uh, Micromuse and, you know, half my team were, were female, head of marketing, general counsel, CFO. And so I had this team that was and the first board meeting that I came and presented to, you know, they told me, said, you know, we need more women on the board. We had no women on the board. I'm like, okay, I, I get that. Okay, all right. And so, you know, we kind of start thinking about it that way and start, you know, you, you set a marker, you know, at, at, um, at uh, Nuance, we had four open recs, and I just said, hey, look, you know, two of them are going to be women, right? We're going to, you know, bring some women on the board. And, and no one argued, right? Just, you know, um, we, at Visa now, you know, we have a couple of, we're always looking for people to bring on the board because, you know, people rotate off the board and we have a couple of slots and the, the, the committee reported in and they said, hey, you know, we, 
and, and they're the candidates looking at and they look at me and say, and they're, and they're all, they're all female, right? <laughs> you know, you know I, 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 as well as other people on the board, we talk about it, right? That's something we should do and this is important to us. And so it is now so part of, and I tell that story because it's so part of what we do that even though we're in the middle of this pandemic, we don't see that we're doing it as a, you know, something we're being forced to do. We're doing it because it's something that makes us better as a company and better as a board. And so why do we stop doing something that makes us better as a company, better as a board because of a pandemic? You would think that due to the pandemic, we have to be even better than we have been. And we have to be as efficient as ever, as ever we've been. And so we want to make sure we do all the things that make us better. And um, having a diverse board, you know, makes you a better company. It enables you to attract better employees, enables you to make better decisions around the strategy of the company, enables you to, um, you know, serve your customers better. Um, and so it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I never thought of, the pandemic as being something that would be a deterrent. But I could see how if someone thinks that they're being forced to do this and it's not a necessary thing to do, um, you know, they might use it as an excuse, but there's no board that I'm involved in where that's the case, whether it's Vertex, whether that's um, Nuance, whether that's Visa, whether it's Grid Dynamics, there's no, no board where we, we would um, we think of it as anything but something we have to continue doing and, and, and uh, continue to focus on. Well, that's very encouraging and wonderful to hear that perspective um, from you know someone who's very active uh, in the board uh, community. I, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes really kind of getting into the weeds on your current role on the visa board. Um, so you serve on the risk and audit committee, and I'm personally fascinated by the relationship between risk uh, oversight and board diversity. So can you help us understand that relationship from your perspective? Are, you know, th there's been a lot of research with respect to diverse boards being able to attract talent and customers, but how about managing risk? Um. No, we have a, a very um, mature risk process in the company. And because of the diversity of the company, um, when we as a board interact with that company, um, we have people of different genders, um, different ethnicity, who are on the other side of the table from us, right? Who are reporting into us, telling us what's going on, um, you know, when this COVID thing first hit, you know, there were seven-day meetings going on. The, the company was, did an excellent job on their Al Kelly, who's the, the CEO there, was this top-shelf gentleman, um, you know, did a really good job leading us through a very difficult time. But, you know, he has a diverse team of people over there. I mean, he has, you know, senior women, um, gender diversity. He's got, um, and so it, it helps that when they interact with us, they're looking at themselves, right? They're not looking at, you know, some kind of strange August um, homogeneous, you know, organization, right? Homogeneous organizations, it's, it's all, so there's a, there's a comfort level you have there 
um, when you look across the table and looking back at your people, you know, reflect your ideals, reflect, you know, where you're from and, 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 and um, you feel more comfortable, of course, I think you're more relaxed in interacting there. But I mean, the, the most important thing for us from a risk standpoint is that we're looking at risk from our issuers, the banks, um, risk for our um, uh, merchants, you know, who you buy products from. And we're a global company, you know, we're, we're, we're assessing risk coming in from Latin America, South America, Asia Pac, um, Europe, you know, global incoming, right? And, and, and their issues are, are, are different from all these different markets. And so it helps to have people on the board, you know, who are diverse. You know, we have, I'm from Jamaica. We have um, someone from Europe, someone from Latin America. Um, you know, people who have lived internationally and worked. I, I lived in Paris and worked out of Paris. I'm with board members who lived different places internationally. And so, and who still live in Latin America and elsewhere. So. You know, there is no translation necessary, right? When someone says, hey, here's what's going on in Latin America's practice, yeah, you know, we know it, been there, done that, seen it, right? So, so it makes for um, not just better decisions longer term, but also more efficient decisions because, you know, you, you, you're, what they're saying to you, you've lived, you've experienced, you know the culture, you know exactly how, what the next two, three steps are going to be or have to be. And so, from a risk standpoint, um, you know, it, uh, it's invaluable, to, invaluable for us to have a diverse board that, again, reflects our customer base. I mean, we are a global company. You know, we serve markets every, in every country in the world. Um, our products are accepted and, and used for digital transactions. So um, it would be derelict of us not to have a board that, is reflective of that diversity and understanding, you know, those markets. Mm -hmm. That that certainly makes a lot of sense. And every time that I hear you talking about diversity, it just seems painfully obvious that a diverse board makes, you know, better decisions both in good times and bull markets, but also in managing and navigating crises. Um, I'd like to end with uh, asking you what your call to action is for board members today. So if you could wave your magic wand, where would you direct their attention? Um, you know, I, I, I know that boards are very busy navigating this current and truly unprecedented pandemic, but what should they do to equip themselves for the next crisis? Well, learn from this one. I mean, some some boards were caught, you know, flat-footed because they didn't have a a crisis management process. And I mean, the boards that we were I'm affiliated with. Not only do we have them, but we actually audit them, so we test them to make sure they work. Right? You know, there's an escalation on Saturday. Something blows up on the Saturday. Can we find all the people who are supposed to, you know, be on these calls? Right? And so. Um, that, that to me would be the, the number one thing is to say, you know, ensure that you have a process that works 
Um, and it could be, every, you know, what happens if there's ransomware comes in, right? With they trying to, you know, blackmail your company, right? It doesn't have to be a pandemic, but, um, you know, whatever it is, um, whether it's, it could be a hurricane or earthquake, whatever it is, whatever that, do you have a response process, a disaster recovery process in place and a response that you test and make sure works and you audit and um, are comfortable with? With respect to your crisis management response, how often do you test that system? Depends, different companies, but um, at least once a quarter it's fired up. Um, and, and, and good news is we hardly ever have to use it because the, we have the teams and the processing visa that are in place are, are so robust that you know things rarely ever come up to a point of you know being a full-blown escalation. There's management layers that take care of it. Of course, something like a pandemic you can't plan for, or you know, an earthquake. But um, um, so every day to day, we don't use it. But then, for that reason, we absolutely do test at least you know, at some level once a quarter. And some boards I'm involved in, they test them once a year. Most people focus on you know disaster recovery, the IT recovery functions, right? They don't fun they don't focus on corporate wide recovery. You know, most people say that you know. Uh, when does my email come back up, right? You know, they don't think about, well, you know, employee safety, employee health, um, customer safety, customer health. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of myopic in looking at the, the IT systems versus the whole end-to-end, -end, you know, what is your, um, you see it right now in, in, in the pipelines, we get products from point A to B, right? A lot of people are single-sourced and, um, in China, and they're taking a good hard look at that. Uh, that probably is not so smart, right? Um, whether it's pandemic or you know geopolitical issues, and so you know people pushing on that, you know, disaster recovery, you know, and realizing, wait a minute, you know, we have to make sure it's not just where my servers are for IT. You know, it's where do I get my raw materials from, right? And so they're now. Good news, bad news, this is forcing them to, you know, take a more holistic look at what disaster recovery and what kind of issues can come up that they have to address. That makes a lot of sense and it ties back to your advice of learning from this pandemic to improve upon the board's risk oversight function. Um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us today. Uh, I've personally learned a lot and I'm deeply grateful. Oh, no, it's been my pleasure as always. Take care. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG Beat with me today.